0: Life at home was hectic. In the day, I'd go to school. In the evening, I'd be left without food. My mother was usually out drinking and had locked all of the food in cupboards. I resorted to eating the cat food. If I was lucky, there was bread and dripping from the grill. But that was all i could find after my father left we moved around a lot because my mother had suffered many violent partners my stepfather would often beat my mother and then move on to me my mother was also quite abusive after a few drinks she'd always be reminding me that i was only born to save a marriage and that when my dad left it was my fault i tried to run away many times i ended up living with my father and stepmother It seemed like a breakthrough. A few weeks later, the abuse took a different form. We were in the lounge, watching TV, when he forced himself on me. He was so overbearing and powerful, but I managed to fight him off. He never did it again, but still found other ways to cause me pain and I ran back to my mother. I refused to go to school, because I looked so scruffy and malnourished, so the other children bullied me. The head teacher found out and I ended up in social services. I remember being in the waiting room and my mother's finger came right up to the end of my nose as she looked me in the eyes and said, I never want to see you again. I felt myself sinking into the floor at that moment, trapped by the white walls and aged green carpet. I ended up in a countryside home run by a group of Christians. I felt so loved there and had opened up to God. When I left the home and ended up in a hostel, at this point I had met someone, became pregnant and also homeless. We were both teenagers and he was quite violent leaving when our daughter was just six months. I just lost it. I didn't want to be here anymore and I tried to take my own life. I kept looking for answers and became quite spiritual, using things like tarot. I came across a bookstore, a Christian bookstore. I went in searching for a new spiritual material. I believed in the Bible and prayed in Jesus' name when I was at school, but my faith in Christianity didn't progress any further. Upon hearing this, the sales assistant showed me the Bible and the verses that spoke out against tarot and witchcraft. I suddenly felt like I had lost control of my body and started shaking. I felt so sick, like I was going to throw up. I couldn't stop crying and was spluttering for air. The assistant and manager prayed for repentance and I gave up all my involvement in the occult. Slowly, the shaking subsided. I was back in my body and experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. That was the day I was born again. It was like stepping out of the door of that bookshop and exhaling everything that had coddled me for so long. God transformed my heart, filling it with abounding joy. Even though I'm having to heal and untangle my past, I'm doing that with the Holy Spirit inside of me, the truth of Jesus and the relationship with God, which gives me the freedom and peace to conquer it. Hi,
1: how are you doing? If I was to ask you the question, what is the hardest part of the lockdowns for you this year? What would you answer? Or maybe if I took a survey of everyone who's watching today, I wonder what would rise to the top. I reckon the top answer, or one of the ones that are close to the top, would be not seeing other people. That's been a big feature of lockdown, hasn't it? Not being able to connect with those people that we love and normally do life with the presence of other people. We need that. And experts, scientists, researchers, they would tell you that we need one another. And we don't have each other, then we suffer. We may suffer mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, even physically when we haven't got each other. Now, some of us like spending time with people more than others. And so I think there's lots of jokes around, you Now, introverts, it's a kind of the best thing ever for them, not to see people. Uh, But research would show even that isn't great. In fact, introverts have suffered worse than extroverts because they're less likely to reach out and start a Zoom quiz and that kind of thing. We have relational need of one another. There's a gap when when we're not able to connect with other people. And this is confirmed in the Bible. Right at the beginning, God says it's not good for people to be alone. They need one another. There is a need for relational connection. But the Bible also says there's another connection that we need, not just with other people, but with God himself. We've got a horizontal connection need. We've also got this kind of vertical connection need as well. We need the presence of God in our life. And if we don't have that, then we're not all that we're meant to be. We are, we're not fully human, actually. The purpose of humanity is to glorify God and connect with him. And when we don't do that, then we're missing something. That's the story of Christianity. And uh, it's something, if maybe if you're a believer, you know that to be true. And maybe you've been singing that this morning, we've been singing our songs of kind of, yes, Lord, we need you, we love you. But sometimes our theology, our confessional theology, if I use those words, our kind of thinking around God and acknowledging that we need him, sometimes doesn't match up with how we live that theology. Our functional theology doesn't match up with the fact that we live sometimes Monday to Saturday without not a lot of acknowledgement that he's there. Or maybe even a sense that he's there. And if you're looking into Christianity for the first time, maybe you're exploring it. I want you to know that God wants a relationship with you. He wants to presence himself in your life. And that's what we're going to look at today as we go into the next section of our story series. We're going to look at the presence of God being in our life. And my prayer for you as I've been preparing for it, and as we look at that this morning, is that each of us would walk away from today with a greater understanding of our need for God's presence in our life. But I pray for something more than that. I pray that you grow in your appetite for more of God, that you would experience more of God, maybe even today for the first time. But let's start by looking at the passage of scripture together.
2: The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, They mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favour in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favour in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favour in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth and the Lord said to Moses this very thing that you have spoken I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name
1: Let me just start by praying for us. Heavenly Father, we want to take your word very seriously as we look at it today and just ask that by your Holy Spirit you might illuminate it uh, for us, that we might see afresh you in the words of it and uh, we might experience you. We don't want to sign up for just mere religion or just going through ritual this morning because we should, uh, Lord, but we want to really encounter you, the living God, uh, by your Holy Spirit. So I want to pray for everyone watching, whether watching live or watching another point, just thank you that you're able to be with us wherever we are right now and uh, help us see you afresh. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We've been uh, tracking for 32 chapters uh, of this story of God taking the Israelites from a place of slavery in Egypt and taking them on this journey to the promised land. And all along the way, we have discovered that the Israelites are pretty terrible people. They are moaning and grumbly, and uh, they're pretty wicked at points. And uh, just like me, and just like you, we're all a bit like that, actually. We mustn't look at these people and think, oh, they are terrible. The reality is, we've all got things in our lives that are not good. And, uh, but last week, they really took the biscuit. They really pushed it on somewhat. And we heard Joel speak to us about the story of the golden calf where uh, Moses, their leader, had taken them to this mountain and had gone up to speak to God. They'd been left just for 40 days at the bottom. And in the meantime, they'd built this golden calf which they'd begun to worship. And uh, the Bible describes it as adulterous. You know, this wonderful, loving relationship between God and his people, they just discarded and gone after a golden calf of all things. And uh, Joel was very funny, I have to say, last week and uh, made the point that none of us are really tempted these days to build a golden calf. It's not a temptation I've faced, Uh, but... We do all have idolatries. We all do take good things or maybe even bad things and turn them into God things, things that we worship. We can be just as wicked as those Israelites uh, in in, in the same way. But, you know, it it might not be a golden calf, but with other things. And uh, the Israelites did this wicked thing. Moses comes down, he challenges them. The people repent, they say sorry. And Moses goes before God and uh, seeks forgiveness for them. And then we get to chapter 33. And here God kind of pronounces His judgment on them. He says to them, I took you out of Egypt. I said I was going to take you to the promised land and I'm still going to do that. Even though you did that wicked thing, I'm still going to take you to the promised land. Even though you did that wicked thing, I'm still going to bless you in the promised land. Even though you're wicked, I'm still going to help you defeat your enemies in the promised land. But the Bible says that the Israelites described it as a disastrous word. Why? Because God also said, I'm not coming with you. I won't dwell among you anymore because you're a wicked, stiff-necked people and I might end up destroying you. And uh, at that point, I don't know how you would have felt in that moment. I think when I look at it, I'm thinking, well, you've just got away with being pretty wicked and you're still going to get everything that God promised for you. Just keep your head down, get on with it, get journeying, move on towards the promised land. But instead of that, it's like it's don't. They said, we don't want to go one step further. If God, you don't come with us. It's a disastrous thing if we should have the promised land, but not have you, the promise giver. We need you, God. And so they it. By the way, they took off their ornaments, these ornaments of gold. Now, gold had obviously been a big part of their idolatry with the golden calf. But they take off these ornaments. They discard them. and say, God, no, we don't want those things. We don't want distractions. We want you. We don't want to go anywhere unless we have you with us. They want that relationship with God. They want his presence with them. They don't want to go without him. And that's the question for us today that we need to look at. Do you want God in your life more than anything else? And we are very tempted at times to say that we do, or often sing that we do. Lots of songs songs that say, God, I need you. Only you I need. It's you I build my life upon. Easy things to say, maybe even easy things for us to think. And believe. But does it work out functionally in our life? In our Monday to Saturday, are we really living the fact that we want God's presence in our life? Just acknowledging that He is even there. Because we may say we want God, but what we care about most may be something very different. Maybe we just want to be free from something. Maybe there's a particular healing that we want, something materially that we need, a relationship to go right, people to love and respect us. And the list goes on and on and on. Different things that we need or we think we need or things that we want and actually want more than we want God. Every day we have a choice. What do we want most? And how do we work out the incompleteness of this life? In this world we will have trouble, Jesus says. What do we do with that? Do we try and fix things ourselves? Do we try and cover the pain and discomfort with various sins? Or do we seek to rest complete in God? The Israelites, their journey from Egypt to the promised land was one big journey of this. In Egypt, things were really bad. Did they turn to God? In the wilderness, things weren't as bad, but they were still a struggle. Did they turn to God? Looking ahead in the story, they're going to the promised land. There's still going to be struggles there. Did they turn to God? The lesson that God was trying to teach them again and again is that in every season that they were going to not necessarily have a perfect life, but they did have a perfect God. The destination of their journey was not the most important thing. It was the person with whom they were journeying with. It is possible to have all the promises of God but not care about God himself. To have the promises but not care about the promise giver to care about the presence in which he gives us, but not his actual presence. See what I did there? I occasionally uh, go away, uh, part of work, and sometimes I take my wife away. Not very much this year, I have to say. I have been away once uh, without my kids. And uh, But when I do, my kids do not say to me, Daddy, Daddy, we're going to miss you. We love you. Please don't go. Please come back soon. They don't say that to me. Uh, because I have made the fatal mistake of once, one time I went away, I wrote them a card each day that I was gone and left them sweets and presents and gifts. Part as a guilt offering, probably. That I wasn't going to be there. But also to love them in my absence. But it means now that when I go away or tell them that I'm going away, their response is, Daddy, Daddy, that's great. What are you going to leave us? They want to know what are they going to get. They don't care that I've got it. In fact, they'd like me to go away more so they can get some more sweets or another treasure hunt for me to leave behind. We can be a bit like that with God we care more about the benefits of the relationship with him than we do about the relationship itself. Imagine tomorrow morning, you wake up and you've got your cup of coffee, everything's going okay, and your morning started well, and you get a letter through the post, and you open it up, and it's from some lawyer you've never heard of, but they've tracked down a long-lost relative who's recently died, and you have got an inheritance of tens of millions of pounds. Some of your financial worries are gone. You're still heading to work because you like your job and there's a promotion you be wanting. But you didn't get the promotion you wanted. You got an even better promotion. And then someone calls you at lunchtime and says, hey, know that thing you've been praying for? My friend who's been sick, they've been healed. Or lots of other different things. Go right tomorrow in your life. But you no longer have Jesus. How would you feel? Or maybe maybe flip the other way around. Maybe this week is the worst week you've had. Maybe you're aware more than ever of the unanswered prayers you've got before God. But you know that Jesus is with you. You're aware of his presence, of his closeness. Which one would you choose? Which is your best scenario? Be honest with yourself. It's so easy to say the right thing. The Sunday school answer, oh, it's Jesus. Jesus, that's what I want. But when you're really offered the different things, which one is it you really want? God's presence must be our hope. God's presence must be our confidence. His presence can be our refuge, our courage. He can help us with our humility, our dependency. And God's presence can be the thing that gives us the constant motivation to keep going because in this life, we are going to have trouble. We are going to have sin. We still need a forgiver. We are going to struggle. We're going to need his strength. We are going to feel pain and we are going to need his healing. We are not perfect, but God is the perfect God. And he promises us blessings, not just in this life, but also in the life to come. We've got to be real that we're not going to get everything that we want. Sometimes you have to wait, but God has promised us good and will do us. He's a good God and he wants to journey with us. He wants to relate with us. Is that your experience? I want to say, get hold of that experience. I want to talk about as we go through this message, because this life is still a desert. We're a bit like the Israelites. We're on a journey. We're not kind of, we're pilgrims passing through this world. And it often feels desert-like, feels like a wilderness. And uh, we mustn't just put our hope in things changing or the end end in sight. But know we've got a hope right now in the God who loves us and is with us. Do you know the one who will go with you? The Israelites, they messed up. They created a problem, a relational problem between them and God to the point where God said, I don't want to be with you. And uh, the thing did not change just because they mourned, it didn't just change because they took their ornaments off. The situation changed only when a mediator got involved, when Moses got involved. So those last verses we looked at, we're looking at this dialogue between Moses and God. Now, Moses had this relationship, this close relationship with God, where he talked to him not the mountain, sought uh, God for forgiveness for the people. Where God gave him these commandments and rules for these people to live by. And Moses had this relationship, talks about in the last verse about being a friend with God. What an amazing thing. And was able to say to God, God, you said that these are your people. You said you were going to give us them. Don't depart. Please come with us. And God, because he has such favour upon Moses, says, yes, I relent. I will go with these people. I will choose to dwell among them. In the chapters ahead, we've only got one week left, but we'll begin to look at the fact that the people build a tabernacle where God dwells amongst the people. He blesses them. He distinguishes them from every other people group. He says, you are my people and I will be your God. Everyone else will look in and see, wow, this is a blessed people. Not just because of the promised land, but because they have God in their midst. And that's similar to us, except infinitely better. When I look at the Exodus story, I'm wowed by it. I love it. It's one of my favourite stories in the Bible. I love action movies. And I think this is the movie where you're going to get most CGI and big effects and big sound coming through the screen. You've got plagues and pillars of fire and cloud. You've got battles and you've got Red Seas opening up. It's amazing, some of the things in it. But when it comes to this point, when it comes to the relationship that people have with God, you know we've got it better I look at the relationship that Moses has with God and think, wow, Moses is a friend of God. And then I think about my situation with God. What's my relationship with him? Am I a friend with God? Yes, but for me, it's one better. I'm also a child of God. Why? Well, because I live this side of Jesus' death and resurrection. We have a better Moses, a better mediator. We have sinned, and so we need someone to make our relationship right with God. Yes, to get the, the uh, forgiveness that we need, but also, one who's going to bring God amongst us. And Jesus has done that. He's the one who has found perfect faith with God, not just for a few sins, but for all sin and for all time. Jesus was perfect sacrifice that died in our place that we can know faith with God. Why? Because we are now in Christ. And Christ is in us. All the favour that Jesus has, we have. We're not just mere friends with God. We are children of the living God. If you've turned to Jesus, that can be the status of your life. You can have a hope of a better relation than even Moses had. A better relationship than Israelites had. They had, yes, a tabernacle very tangibly in their camp. But we have Jesus come and dwell within us. Jesus said after his uh, life, death and resurrection, before we went back to heaven, he says, it's better for me to go. Why? Because I'm going to send a helper to come amongst you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And at Pentecost, we see that happening. The birth of the church is when the Holy Spirit came upon the first believers, came and filled them up with his presence and power. And that same presence and power is available for you and me right now. This is so exciting. It means that all the resources we need to live a Christ life like now exists within us. Why? Because Christ and His Spirit have come to live within us. We don't have to try hard for this. It's already been given to us. It's just a free gift. But we do need to help it bubble up inside of us. That our normal Christian life might become a supernatural one, a powerful one. It's so easy to settle for something less. It's so easy to think, oh, I'll we'll just journey on into the wilderness, not that aware of God's presence. I know He's kind of there, or that angel will be enough to come with me. No, that's what the Lord says. You know, I'm not going with you, but I'll send an angel. I think, wow, that'd be pretty cool. No, 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 they're settling. We just want God in the camp. We want God in our lives. It makes all the difference. This almighty God who has love that is higher and wider and deeper and broader than we'll ever be able to get our heads around. We need power to even begin to conceive of it. A God of grace and mercy, of hope and peace and strength for our lives. One who can make himself known to us. He's not a mere philosophy that we're signing up to. He's someone that you can have a personal relationship. Do you know what it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus? That's what this is about. This is what I want you to experience. I want you to aspire for more. And if you're looking in, maybe you're thinking, there is a piece missing in me. What is this? It's God. It's his Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Or maybe you're a Christian and life's a struggle. Your face just hard. What do you need? You need the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Or maybe right now, you feel like you're awash with the Spirit. You know His presence with you daily. Let me encourage you, there's even more. There's no limit to His impact upon your life. But it can be tempting. It can be tempting to be a bit apathetic, particularly in times right now where Christian life is a bit tough. As much as we are, each of us, tabernacles, temples, dwellings of the Holy Spirit, we're also made to kind of knock, 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 uh, knock into other temples of the Holy Spirit. That's what church is about. There's a special blessing when God's people come together. God loves dwelling very tangibly amongst his people. That's why doing church through a uh, lens or through a screen is difficult. It is tough. It's not the way it's meant to be. But I want to aspire for more, even in this season. Don't become jaded. Don't become ap- apathetic. But know that God loves to dwell with you, even right now. It can be sometimes, uh, we can slip into uh, a thinking that we're a bit like camels. And uh, in wandering in a desert, and we kind of find a moment with God, maybe on a Sunday, or maybe in a conference, or maybe in a book, or, a, or a preach, we've got to it, and we're just drinking as much we can. We fill up our humps with water. And then we journey out into the desert again, maybe for a day or for a week or maybe a month or maybe even months at a time, just hoping that kind of touch point with God is enough to see us through. That's not what we're made for. We are made to live every day in a closeness with God, close communion, close fellowship with Him. Instead of being like a camel, we're meant to be like a goldfish, not filling up with water, but right within it, swimming around in the presence of God daily. And becoming each day more and more close and aware of his presence. My my life has been a journey of this, working this out. I got saved as a child and in a church where we didn't teach about this very much, very little in fact. I just kind of picked up little bits maybe here and there. But I did have good youth leaders who got me into the word of God. And so I'd read my Bible every day, every morning and evening as much as possible. And I remember just one night just reading through my Bible and then just shutting it and just being overwhelmed by this supernatural sense that God was with me and that He loved me. And uh, it just changed things for me in my, my relationship with God. So I changed my expectation of what it meant to be a Christian, to be friends, to be a child of the living God. And I came to this church when I was a student, quite a few years ago now. And I. Uh, I remember just getting great teaching on this. The first time someone really began to unpack the fact that we need to be baptised. I mean, just drenched in his Holy Spirit. And we I mean, need to live in a place where we keep being filled day by day. And uh, my student days were just wonderful times. of just understanding this for the first time. It wasn't just in my quiet time. Well, that was a great time meeting God. It wasn't just in church meetings, but just as I walked along the road, I could expect that God would be with me. I remember at times just feeling a bit stupid, but just knowing, God, I just wanted to pray. I just wanted to seek more of God. I just wanted to talk to him about my day as I walked along and, and uh, get strange looks from people at times. I love the fact that we all got headphones now that connect to our phones. So you can walk on the road and be talking and people think you're on the phone, even though you're talking to God, you're praying as you, as you go along. As I remember in, in, in recent seasons, just beginning to see God in my day to day, just find little ways to be grateful for the, that, that, the fact that he's there that every good blessing comes from Him. And I suppose I'm good, just being thankful and grateful. and just trying to cultivate a place in my life where I know more of God's presence. I've not got this down. I'm not perfect in this, but I just know a journey where I'm growing in this. Can you see and perceive yourself growing in the presence of God in your life? This isn't meant to be a legalistic thing. It's not something on you, but I want to inspire you to want more of this in your own life. Even this term, as we've journeyed through Exodus, even before we actually started the series, just about God speaking to me from Exodus 13 and 14, about God opening up the Red Sea. And so God just keeps taking me back to that passage time and time again. Each week, I hear something fresh from it, from another source, or someone else has got a prophetic word about it, or mentions it in a prayer meeting or another setting. God just keeps taking back God saying, I'm making a way. I'm the way maker. Well, it doesn't seem like there's a way. There's a way through. And even the obstacles you'll find, God is making a way just for the kindness of God in my life. Let me just finish with a few ways where you can cultivate some of the presence in your life. Some of the obvious ways are get in your Bible and get praying. And I don't want to label those too much, but do do those things. I'm not, not saying those things. Do those things. Come along to church. Get on the live stream. They're really important. But these are three other ways that I thought might just be good tips, good helpful things for you to cultivate a life where the presence of God is, is, it becomes more important than the things you can get from God. The first one is, Like the Israelites, lay down destructions. They took off their ornaments and they laid them down as a sign to God, God, I want more of you. And if we kind of uh, equate these uh, ornaments with the good things, or maybe even the bad things in our life that distract us, maybe even on the back of last week's sermon, are there things that the Holy Spirit is pinpointing in your life that are a distraction from you? Because you know, if you want the Holy Spirit to live in your life, the Holy Spirit is sensitive, not over-sensitive, sensitive but just sensitive. Holiness and sin do not dwell well together. And the Holy Spirit loves to dwell where there is a clean heart, where there is favour, where there is fresh repentance and short account with God. Are there blockages with your relationship with God? Are you not free in the presence of God right now because there's something you need to say sorry to God for? The great thing is when you say sorry to God, God does not delay in forgiving. He's quick to forgive, quick to restore relationships. Let me encourage you. Is there some repentance needed today? Second thing, practising the presence of God. Quick story, there was a monk in the 17th century called Brother Lawrence who wanted to go on mission, do great things for God. Uh, But he was assigned to where? To kitchen duty and to preparing food and washing the pots and mending shoes. And so he didn't get to do the big thing he wanted for God, but instead he committed to finding God in his every day. Thank God I want to find you in the things that you've given me to do. And he did just what I said, mentioned earlier. He would just chat to God all day long, just about what was happening. He decided to involve God in everything he was doing, taking the verses from the Bible that say, uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Knowing that he served one, no matter who it was in terms of uh, who he was cooking for or whose shoes he was mending, whose pots he was cleaning up, ultimately he did it for the audience of one. Did it for Jesus. So whether you send an email this week, whether you're taking a drive, whether you're changing a nappy, are you doing it all for Jesus? When you do, Jesus inhabits that space. I mean, you thank God for the task ahead of you, the fact that you have the faculties to do it, the fact that you woke up this morning. It just invites God more and more into the everyday, the moment by moment times. The third thing. This is something I felt helpful by someone called John Tyson from New York, a guy we had earlier this year on one of our leadership times together, kind of zoomed in with us. And uh, he's a guy who's going after more of God's spirit in his life. He says one of the things that's really helped him is, you know, we want to move to a place where moment by moment we've got, but maybe that feels a bit of a stretch from where you are right now. But maybe you could start doing this. doing this At the end of every day, taking a moment to do a prayer of examination. Just an opportunity to examine your own heart. Just saying, Holy Spirit, help me now as I examine today through the lens of what you would want to pinpoint. Asking these questions. When did I feel closest to God today? And why? When did I feel furthest from God? And why? What brought me joy? Why? What caused me hurt? Why? And what does this all reveal about God and my relationship with him? Just taking that moment to examine our hearts before God, allows God just to pinpoint ways in which he can enter more fully into your life where you can welcome him more in or maybe cut out the things that are stopping you from connecting with him. His presence is powerful. His presence is a place where you receive his grace and mercy. This life we will have trouble. We will continue to travel through the desert like the Israelites do. Let's not keep our eyes on the destination But let's keep our eyes on the person we're journeying in, knowing that he loves us. He's able to bless us in the midst of it. The wonderful thing is that God will continue to bless us as we journey with him. But also there's a blessing to come. There is a time when this earth and these heavens will cease and new heavens and earth will, will start and Jesus will come again and we will dwell with him perfectly. We see him dimly now, but we'll see him perfectly. He'll be like the sun in a new city where we'll dwell with him perfectly, where we'll know the blessings of God in our lives. But let's not wait till then. Let's invite heaven into our lives now. Let's make that our prayer. Let me just finish by reading this verse from Psalm 27. King David was one who knew what it was to have a heart after God and invite him into his whole life. And he says this in Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his holy temple. May that your prayer this week. Amen.